Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. I, I get a funny thing emails all the time from our readers. This one's classic. Talk it's to the Mike, Mike. It's called Grammatical Mike. Error. That's the tag. Talk to the Mark, Mike. It's, it's called Grammatical Error. And it says something like, um, I am saddened and disheartened to discover upon reading the new edition of Word magazine that... This is the voice that Mark always adopts when he's yes. aping anybody who's complaining about anything. Yeah, he's complaining. Which is usually, actually, the one we used to have at Q was a slightly whinging one. <laughs> so, much as I love your August, August organ, organ and have supported it since the off, uh, I must point out... I, you know, but no, this kind of goes well, it's called Grammatical Error. And it's about how we have spelt the word B-52s wrong five times. <laughs> Right, because beef stew doesn't have an apostrophe. Anymore. It doesn't. Now they've. This, do you know what this stuff? It rather gets my goat. Does it have a? Dose I know it? how to spell beef fifty two. I know how to spell everything. Can you spell guns? Right, James. Yes, James, 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 James Mad. The first thing is going to be. Yeah. It's going to be tested on. There's one of our guests this week. Long James, Matt, how do you Hello, spell Matt. guns and roses? It is capital G U N S capital N apostrophe. Capital R O S E S. Whoa! Actually, that's slightly annoying. Oh, it, it's that's a slightly good annoying. Game. Actually, James Ben is right. That this is, is a, how you spell. It's it's a guns, good game. neuroses. That's how you spell. How do you spell Dex's Midnight Shane. Runners? Oh, go on then. Dex- or just oh, the word Dex's. D E X Y S. I see. He's obviously worked on magazine. Perhaps I should tell you that I am a former. I know you are. I know that very well, actually. Okay, James. Shakespeare's sister. Spell it. No, no apostrophe. No, no. Got it. No e. No no e. E. With an apostrophe. Yeah. With an apostrophe, but no E. Uh, I think they were worried about no, it. Getting sued by Shakespeare. Stay with it, listeners. It, it gets more interesting. <laughs> but I just want you to understand that I mean, it's absolutely clear to this guy. I wrote back very sweetly to him this morning saying, You're absolutely right. She's not absolutely right. Because the B 52s, who started, I think, in 1978, were called B 52s, right? But they changed their name, Dave, when? God. April 2000, no, sorry, March 2008. That's now, where we are recording in March, right? They've changed the name. They've changed the name from the B-52s with an apostrophe to, <laughs> I know it's going to be stressful, look away from the screen now, to the B-52s without an apostrophe. Ooh. 
I know, controversial. And you're thinking also, why? Why bother? So I had to point out to this guy that if you type in B52's official website, you still get B52 spelled with the apostrophe. But you got a little thing on Wikipedia saying you can sort of spell it either way because they've just changed it. So I said to him, for God's sake, somebody stop me, this is boring. I said, we interviewed them in 2007 when there were still the B52's with an apostrophe. So go figure. And then he signed his is email. It, is it called the post-apostrophe interview? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a post-apostrophe post years. Yeah, it's like the Frank Zappa retrospective. He said, um, he signed his email, disappointingly yours. So I had to point out, surely you mean disappointedly yours, because disappointingly yours means I'm disappointed this is from you. Which, to be fair, it was a bit, actually. <laughs> it's the pedants revolt. Pedants? It's a pedants with a Oh, God. Just give me the opportunity to repeat once more, you know, that... I worked in magazines a long time, and we have two attitudes to readers on magazines. If readers are saying that everything we do is wonderful, right, we say that they're intelligent, discriminating, charming, sophisticated individuals we would love to have around for dinner. As soon as they get in touch to point out that the answer to the crossword's wrong, or we got the wrong page number, they're dangerous lunatics with too much time yeah. on their hands, and the police should be informed yeah. of their exact whereabouts. It's like winning awards on magazines. You know, if you win an award, <laughs> then the PPA or the BSME is the finest, yes. most noble institution the only one that If you come second, you go, oh, fuck, cares? You know, Elvig's rigged, you know, yes, allegedly. But have we, have we, have we introduced James Med properly we're, and told people who he is? Well, we're gonna, we, one of the things we're going to talk about in this yeah. podcast is a very fine piece that, uh, that James James wrote in the current issue of Word, uh, which is called Admission Impossible, which is tackling the thorny subject of tickets, the expense of tickets, the difficulty of getting older tickets, secondary ticketing, all this kind of stuff, which we're going to talk about later, I suppose. Right, no, fine. Um, but James can introduce himself by pointing out, as all new guests on the podcast do, in order that everybody can work out exactly how old he is is to tell us what records your parents had in the house when you were growing up. What's to stop him fibbing, though? No, I won't. Um, as I, st I still really like it. It's Suku Suku by Nina and Frederick. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds very good. Um, the other, only other one they ever played was um, Songs for Swinging Sellers by Peter Sellers. Oh, oh. God, you're kidding. Ah, no, do you know that, that one? That is exactly what my... Actually, just go back a second. Uh, do you mean they only played two records? I don't think they played them. I think <laughs> we played them. Oh, you meant they, but they yeah. had two. But they pretty much. Two I think there was one by the Swinging right. Blue Jeans. What was on Songs for, for Swinging Sellers? We um, had that too. Mild Dutch. Oh, that's oh, a good yeah. one. I'm thinking of the best of sellers, where he's polishing, polishing no, the wings. Songs for Swing and Sellers has got a new song. It's not Bowman Gateway to Stout. Yes, it has got a With the Rolls Royce, he's polishing the, uh, the thing on the front it's of his Rolls Royce. Uh, it's the fantastic cover where he's actually. He's about to hang himself. On the front is a noose, oh, yeah. and on the back are, are his two legs coming. Oh, that's yeah. right. That's yeah. absolutely right. How many could get away with that? That would be sick, sick Britain. I got sick. The EMI reissued this. EMI reissued these records not long ago, and they sent them to me and I, I gave them a listen I have to say that they've worn terribly well they're fantastic they're, not bad I bought they're really yeah. funny still yeah. and and think about those the skits that Peter Sellers did is you know times have a have a way of kind of coming round to bring them into into focus again I was listening to the thing he does this thing about a, a, a corrupt strange uh, manager of, of, of up-and-coming rock and rollers Indeed. which is based on Larry Palms yeah, yeah. because you look at this nowadays in the era of Simon Cowell and you know all these people and, and you just get exactly the same jokes you know yeah. you know the, the, the fool who comes out with the guitar and he says how many times have I told you the whole points away from you oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Do you remember the sketch where he talks about, I don't know which album it was on now, or what it's called, but it's a sketch where he talks about, um, he plays the part of a, of a rock and roller who's, who's desperate to get some kind of success. And, he's in uh, that he, sketch. He's in that, and he's being interviewed by this kind of frightfully kind yeah. of uh, cardigan-wearing voice from <laughs> right. World Service, and he misunderstands the idea of guitar. He thinks he's talking about guitar, <laughs> the nasal. He one point says, "Do find it a terrible hindrance for you, this guitar?" Which is <laughs> so brilliant that the BBC are so behind the beat they don't even know what a guitar is. It's so, so, what's the great rock connection also with those Peter Sellers albums? George Martin. George Martin oh, produced George, them. George Martin's production is part of the reason those things. He so is sound effects on. Those are incredible. It is. Like Right Said Fred. Have you ever heard Right Said Fred? What, Cribbins? Yeah, Cribbins. It's not. Classic, <laughs> classic Cribbins. There's a strong case of oh. saying Right Said Fred by Bernard Cribbins is the greatest record ever made. Uh, Dave, have you, sorry, have you heard the B side? Oh, God. The hole in the ground, so big and sold around it was. Don't dig there, but dig it elsewhere. You'll dig, dig it round and, and it ought to be square. Cribbins is alive and well. I saw him on TV only the other he's day. Still going, oh, he's still going? He's above ground of British. British. Yeah. yeah. Is, is that it? true, Matt? Yeah. I got yeah. it right. He was in something, yeah. I saw a picture. Bernard Cribbins, you know, honour to Bernard Cribbins. You know, he's, he's not put many feet wrong in his career, has he, really? You know, it's great pop records. He also appears in everybody's favourite film. The Railway Children. The Railway Children. The Railway Children. So what we're getting back to, surely, is that James Smith's parents, despite the fact they only possessed two, count them, two records, the choice is pretty strong. Oh, it is. This is quality stuff. You're going to have two records. Top Swedish, whatever. Were they jazz, Nina and Frederick? Nina and Frederick. I'll tell you about Nina and Frederick. They came from Denmark. Denmark, that's right. Uh, And I think he was minor Danish royalty. (laughs) He he had the beard. He didn't have the beard. He probably looked in a good light. He looked like Prince Philip, who, who probably See, was. Who was the huge royalty? Contract. That would just be hugely. I'm trying to shush it up, wouldn't you? Had to get a heavyweight PR to deny it. And uh, and Nina was a bit of international socialite. Uh, I thought it was fantastic note you say, and we're going to say, and Nina's an international socialist. <laughs> <laughs> Which would have been brilliant. Yeah, she could well. Was she a major look? I can't remember what I she was. She was. was. They, yeah. were, they were a handsome couple. They, yeah. were, they were like, yeah, they were a couple out of Tattler. They long were a bit before like, anybody um, of Tattler. Prince and Princess Michael of Ken, they looked actually. Think, if you can they? imagine yeah. Prince and Princess Michael of Ken as a swinging rock the couple with yeah. jazz influences. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, talking of rock. One of the strands that's been going on the Word website in the last week, Word talking Magazine. Talking Rock, that sounded really good, yeah. which we are, of course, on the Word podcast, mate. We're talking Rock, go on. Wordmagazine.co.uk <laughs> is the subject of the twinning of rock bands, oh, yeah. which people are getting quite excited about. Yeah. It says, nowadays, there's so many bands, we get, it's a serious thing. There are so many groups, we're beginning to get them confused with each other. We now have too many, right? Because we have all the old ones and all the new ones as well. And so it could be an accident of just their name, or the fact that they sound the same, the music they make the same, or they came along at a similar time, but we, we find ourselves twinning loads of acts, right? Such yeah. as, you're asking me. Yeah, go on, I'm asking you. David Gray and Damien Rice. Fair enough. Basement, you know ja- Basement Jacks, Groove Armada. Yeah. Yes. Two duos, both make dancer records. Yes. Nobody can name any of the indiv- individuals. Josh Ritter and Josh Rouse. Again, very same confusing. Thing. Yeah. Duffy and Adele. Yeah, no, never been seen in the same. Never been seen. <laughs> Counting Crows, Crash Test Dummies. No, they, they don't sound. Well, they at just all the fade same. into a blandness. They don't they? sound at all the same. No, what no. about Limp Biscuit and Linkin Park? Possible, yeah. yeah. What, what about the Spin Doctors and the Saw Doctors? 
quite good. Again, they do sound couldn't be more different. But yeah, they've both got the word doctor. Clearly yeah, yeah, okay. Joe Jackson, Jack Johnson. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Brian Adams. And Brian if, Adams. And if, that's right. Brian Adams. Brian Adams. Don't say that to Ryan Adams, though. He'll send you out, mate. And yeah, if, I, yeah, if yeah. I say to if I say to you Duke Spirit, you're going to come back with? Oh yeah, Duke Special. There you go. Oh. If I'm going to say to you James Blunt, you're going to come back with? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this character, <laughs> tremendous. No, uh, you're going to come back with James Morrison. James Morrison. Oh, yeah. well, they sound very. I'm similar. sorry. No, it's true. It's good. There is low. There, there are there are legs in that. Are you saying could there be David? There should be too many pop stars. Um, Could be. Well, I think... We just interviewed Hugh Cornwall. He makes a very good point in his, uh, in his piece. He says, if you want to join a band in the 21st century, he says, here's my advice, don't bother. Do you want to know why? He says, there's too many groups, and he says, old fuckers like me, Hugh Cornwall, are still going. He says, yeah. the problem, he said, I'll tell you what, brother, I'm not giving up. Yeah. Which is fair enough. Why should he? He's 58 years old. He's mm. you know, plowing a quite nice little furrow. Why should Hugh Cornwall step down off the carousel to let the next James Blunt get on board? No. But what is the great irony of this, which I'm sure I've bored people about on the podcast before, that the generation who proved the stickiest of all were the generation who came along saying, you've all been around too long, which were Hugh Cornwell's punk rock generation. Yeah, yeah. Who came Johnny along Rock. saying, ELP, yes, yeah. you've been around years. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the they've only been around about five years. Yeah. 30 years later... Are Sex Pistols broken up? I don't think, I don't so. think so. <laughs> is Hugh Cornwall about the same age as members of ELP? Yeah. Yes, he is, actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, after a while, they all merge into I the know. same middle age, don't they? Isn't Hugh Cornwall touring with the lead singer from The Alarm and oh, right. some former member of The Jam or something? He certainly did Black a tour of America. He did a tour of America, I think, supported by the two members of The Jam who were not Paul Weller. Oh, They're called right, something like Beyond the Jam. Or in the jam, oh, that's or right, only yes. jam for tea today, <laughs> or something with jam in it. Yes. Anyway, what are they called? Let them eat jam or something. <laughs> They're called. We need the money. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But no, I think there might, there might be a fair point. You know, like you call the lead singer. That'd be quite funny, wouldn't it? Because it also touches on something we were discussing in last week's podcast with Supergrass, which I don't think they took to, which is the idea that bands ought to, like football teams, go for the squad system. So instead of having four members in a group, like you have 22. Didn't Art Brute do that? Oh, well? oh, this is good. Go on. I think the, the, the top uh, post-Carter USM band, Art Brute, did, had an American branch that they were setting up. I was saying they had an American equivalent. I think they did. They had well, something was? like that. I, they franchised the group. Known, I could, yeah, I think it's, but I they think were officially recognised as being the real art brood. That was, that was rubbed down by know, art. I can't remember the technicalities. <laughs> I think we'd have to investigate that. I'm All members of the brood. But dynasty. you see, I can see this in the future. You know, you know that the, you'll go and see a group. You'll go, I don't know. You go and see who? I don't know. The Clash. What's a bad example? What I'm talking about? They already the Stones. Stones. Rolling Wood. Keels over. Hello, Jeff Beck. So they have they have four or five members of the Rolling Stones on stage, and then on the side of the stage, got Jeff wearing tracksuits. Yeah. They have a substitutes bench. Yeah. And they have a manager limbering up. Oh yeah. Who, if he thinks that Charlie is not doing the right job, he sends the drummer up and down the touchline to warm up to frighten him. Yeah. And if he's not doing well, it's like a baseball team and a pitcher. Pull him off yeah. and put on the sub. It's a way to provide work for more musicians, isn't it? Take the strain of hard-pressed, you know, 
elderly limbs. I think it works. If you, you imagine Charlie, the fear of God, they would go right to the very... Yeah, he's been cruising for too long. No, he? he's been clearly <laughs> sitting there, he's thinking about something else. <laughs> he's probably sending a text message to his right Suddenly hand. Suddenly, Zach He suddenly looks up. No, he says, <laughs> it's only Phil <laughs> Collins, isn't it? Hairing down the track. <laughs> Pulling off the bottom of his trousers, <laughs> you'd be well worried, wouldn't you, Dave? I think really, I think <laughs> that's I think, an excellent. I idea. think there's a lot to be said for it. And then you'll go along to certain concerts, and you're going to see the Rolling Stones and say, "Tonight, the part of Ron Wood will be played by Ray Cooder." Yeah. And you think, "Happy day!" I'm, I'm delighted. <laughs> I'm absolutely delighted. Hey, you went to see the Rolling Stones film, didn't you? I did go to the Rolling Stones film. And you were going to talk about it a couple of weeks ago, and then you decided it was too early. Well, it's out now. Was I gone? Yes. I all and you that. were saying that you made those long... mistakes. I did, yeah. God, it was a long time ago. I saw it now. I thought, I thought it was a it's fantastic a film. No, no, I thought it was it's absolutely fantastic. It, I, I did write an intro that said, this is the greatest performance film ever made. But no, I haven't forgot about Can't it. Can't be true. No, there, no, Dave, it's very, very good. It's not true. It's true. But what I think is so funny about it is that, well, lots of things actually. One is it points out the classic difference between Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, that neither of them tell the truth. But they tell the, their version of it in the cartoon figures that they've invented, yes. right? Because Mick Jagger, <clears throat> throughout the interview that we published, um, that Melanie Davis uh, did for us, and uh, he's constantly going on about, well, I talked I talk to Marty, you know, I should do that other impersonation. He can't just say I was in a film with Martin Scorsese. It's got to be Marty and I thrashed out a load well, of ideas. That's what Martin Scorsese's friends do call him, to be fair. Oh, no, 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 that, no I'm not complaining about the Martin. Okay. What I'm saying is he sat down with Martin Scorsese and it claims to have thrashed out the idea of what the two of them wanted the film to be. Oh, and right. he says, do you know what, I'd sort of, you know, we'd come to an agreement, I'd let him get on with it, right? <laughs> and you know, you're just thinking, Mick, just for fun, <laughs> this is just nonsense. If Martin Scorsese makes a film about you, what he doesn't want is you sitting there saying, I'll see it this way, do you know what I mean? <laughs> And of course, Keith Richard, I think, is just as economical as the truth. Because his whole thing is. Kelly, let's be fair. Yeah, oh, yeah. But Keith Richards, you know, is just as, just as, uh, as uh, ridiculous about it because he does this whole thing about, you know, I went on stage and I used to be able to do a Keith Richards accent. It's sort of like that, isn't it? I went on stage and apparently there was 19 cameras there. I wasn't aware of any of them. You know? Now, this is just nonsense. It's just the music. It's just the music. I just think we'd have to be a consonant and Marty was recording it. You know? Now, this day, that is also utter, utter, total bollocks. You cannot go on stage at the Beacon Theatre, which I've been to, a very small venue, actually. It's in uh, New York's Upper West. Side. Lovely old Art Tech Theatre. Not be aware of the fact that there were seriously 19 cameras, of which the majority were on railway lines, right? The track, the tracking back and forth, you know. Which means that each member of the group, if I can just do the maths now, probably has about five cameras on them individually. So don't tell me that Keith Richards was unaware of this, you know. No, no, that's not But right. it's, anyway, I'm splitting heads. It's a fantastic film, I think. But <coughs> you're right. Yes, yeah, go back to your original question. Yes, they made mistakes. Because Keith Richards. Keith is fantastically inaccurate in his uh, the ways his left hand clambers up to the big bar chords, and he, he can't bother to look anymore because I don't know it's just a bit of a strain of it. So he just sort of gets glasses. And most people kind of you know been doing it for as long as he has. They pretty much know well, I had a bar in E minor, right? They know where it is. It must be like playing golf, you know. But I promise you, Dave, he, more often than not, <laughs> he's less, on the wrong course. It's less than accurate, and because you can't you can't change that because he's got the camera on him and it's in the sound bed. Of the, of the, of the recording that you can't alter either. So you've got these great, fucking great miscalls. And it's just adorable to watch, I think. It's I so got an funny. email this week from uh, a professor of modern history at Cambridge University. Yeah? Saying... To complain about the grammar. <laughs> no. <laughs> Much as he I've was... enjoyed your orgasm, <laughs> He was writing, he was writing the 
British modern, uh, modern History of Britain, which is published every 20 years or whatever, and he had to write two pages about popular music, just two pages. And he was trying to... Uh, he was following up a quote from Mick Jagger, one of those apocryphal quotes... Um, you know, my, my attitude is liberal, my politics is Labour, my money is Tory. Yeah? He said, being the Oxford whatever, you know, be, wanting to bottom this out, he needed to know exactly where this quote had appeared. And somebody had given him my name, as if I would know. But, you know, I had to point out to him, you know, you go back more than a year with Mick Jagger, it just disappears into the myth, <laughs> myth doesn't yeah, it? You know yeah. what I mean? Really? You know, nobody knows what anybody said at any time. Yeah. And nobody cares either, you know what I mean? Mick Jagger, if, if you get hold of Mick Jagger and say, would you confirm that quote now? Is he going to do it? No. I don't think he's going to do it at all, you know. He just says whatever it takes, get him through the interview, you know, leave afterwards. And he, knows, he really knows the right thing to say. There's uh, one of my many, many favourite bits in this film is where he's on, uh, they've used this footage for them doing uh, publicity, uh, promotional stuff on, on foreign television. And he's on a Japanese show being interviewed by a completely overawed, uh, well, in fact, it turns out to be a 29-year-old girl. And she cannot believe that Mick Jagger's in the room with her. She's just, she's virtually crying. She's so excited. And she's not really prepared any questions. To the extent that her questions are of the riveting depth of how old are you, right? So she's asking. And Mick Jagger, not, no, not an easy question. It's brilliant. And this was obviously recorded about three or four years ago. And he says, I'm 29. And he turns to the camera with a little wink to us. Like that. And she goes, so am I. Imagine that. And he gives it another little wink. You know, it's just, it's just gorgeous. His ability to be able to manipulate and charm the trousers of anything. First time I interviewed Mick Jagger, I was thinking about this the other day. It was a long time ago, 25 years ago or whatever. I've never been so frightened in my life. You lost your voice, Dave, because you smoked some no, cigarettes was, on the plane. No, that was a, that was a was different that? occasion. Different right. occasion. Because he kept you waiting. Of course he keeps you waiting. Of course he keeps you waiting. That's what people like that do. And during that hour that you're waiting for them, I was, I was shaking. Just shaking. It was a TV interview. You know what I mean? That's what it's just... I don't know why. You know uh, what I mean? He just has that... You know, he was, he was a huge star then, he's a huge star now, you know, and I, I don't know, some people just have that, don't they? You know what I mean? Well, he kept, I interviewed him once, he kept me waiting. When I was taken in there, I think he just assumed that, oh, maybe it was just a brilliant device to belittle me, but he just assumed I was somebody coming for an autograph in a big pile of Walker prints, one of those big silver <laughs> pens. He looked up, he barely even looked up, he said, who's it for? <laughs> And I was too embarrassed to say, I don't, I don't, don't give me an autograph, I'll come to interview you. I said, oh, make it out to Claire, you know, my wife, you know, she'd be really thrilled. Then I had to say, oh, by the way, I'm here to interview you. I love that, who's it for? You know, just didn't even get up. Yeah. A magazine, a website, a podcast, The Word. As promised, um, there's a feature in the current issue of Word, uh, the one that's got Elvis Costello on the cover, uh, called Admission Impossible, which is about... The difficulty people have, this was, I suppose, written in response to loads of feedback we'd had on the website and, and through the magazine about the difficulty people have in getting tickets for gigs nowadays and the expense and the, the emergence of secondary ticketing and the whole business of eBay and all this. Uh, and James Mad wrote this, and James did a fantastic job on this. James, I want to start you off at one point here. I think you make the point in this piece that... There has recently been a kind of boom in, in, yeah. in ticket fever throughout oh. the population, hasn't there? Well, and yeah, it, it's quite weird. I mean, 15 years ago when, you know, I was going to gigs, people thought I was quite weird. Yeah, it was I a mean, minority. I, yeah, I mean, they, they were all going to, to clubs. 
young people as we were then, um, and I was still going to see rock concerts. It was a pretty old-fashioned thing to do, and now this is what young people do. I mean, they're all going there, and it's a social occasion too. I mean, I've had a lot of friends who, who aren't sort of necessarily in the music business talking about it. They still go to gigs, and they've noticed that people come to gigs and, and talk throughout, you know, not in yes. a kind of whiny old, you know, music hacks at the barway, but people are coming as a, as a social occasion. Oh, really? See, oh, that's it. And this is, and it's filtering down all the way to the kind of. So you think that the, the talking in gigs thing, which many people have remarked upon, haven't they, in the last year? Not in a good yeah. way. And not in a good way. Well, is no. the result of a lot of people starting to go to gigs who previously had never been oh, I schooled think so, in the etiquette. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. I think you know, I've never it. thought of that. I mean, I mean, I think people have always talked in gigs a bit. I yes. I've had a few too many drinks, but. I think the expansion is, is part of it, yeah. 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 Now, you also trace it in this, I think, to Glastonbury being telling That wasn't me, actually. That was a very, just, just um, some uh, Eamon Ford. Who, oh, right, who's yeah. A contributor who's, who, who mentioned that. But uh, all the people I talked to had a, a thing that they mentioned. I mean, most people said the last five years was huge, most of the professionals. Yeah. That have been enormous. But I, I think he's got a point, actually, because when was that the pulp... I think Could at Glastonbury, yeah, I yeah. can't remember. Either Pulp or Radio. So when it but was televised, yeah, the te he said the the first time it was televised, and I guess that that made going to a, a rock concert look cool again, <laughs> which it certainly wasn't at the time. And then the Pulp and Radiohead things made a huge event thing. Uh, there were more of those event gigs, weren't there, starting to happen, which... So suddenly a load of people looked at these things on the TV screen and thought, yeah. that looks like fun. Imagine being there. Pretty much yeah. like people did with football, I suppose, post-Euro 96. I think, yeah. You know, or post-Sky football. Do you think it's that? So, yeah. well, yeah. they're yeah, yeah, certainly yeah. part of the, you know, most people who go to a football match nowadays, they've had their idea of what a football match is formed by television yeah. long before they go. Yeah. Presumably it's the same with Whereas the rock before game. you'd start going off, you know, all of us start going off to a Small gig. Yes. Or, or maybe... To so people's idea of a gig is yeah. a big gig. Yeah, I think okay. it is now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you, you, you looked at the various ways that, uh, that people were either coping or not coping with this increased demand. What, what are the main conclusions that you came to? Well, what, the punters, as yeah. we must call them. <laughs> um, by law. By law, yes. Billy punters. <laughs> I think most heavy increase, I don't know. It's, it's just... I mean, uh, if you've... you've the problem is that none of us probably particularly had to pay, <laughs> get on a computer and, and queue for a gig in the I modern have, fashion, yeah. have I you? Have, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I still do it every now and then. And it is really hard. You have to be there at that 9am tickets on sale for, uh, for a gig of any popularity, pretty much. Um, and then to, 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 to be online at the time when it, they get sent out to get a ticket, of certainly to get a good seat that you'll be able to see them, and, and increasingly, even for standing seats, at some, you know, anywhere from in London, the Shepherd's Bush Empire up, you, you've got to get in there pretty fast now. So I'm going to sound like I'm going to sound like Marie Antoinette here, I know, because I, I as you correctly said, I don't do. Let's this. be honest. Yeah. Oh, let's be honest. <laughs> you know, so to go and see, I don't know, Lucinda Williams or Tanara when at the Shepherd's Bush Empire, I got to do it by computer, have I? I would have thought so. Yeah. I, I, I There's mean, no I, point just turning up at the box office on a on the Tuesday. night. No, obviously you, no. not on the night, but you know, prior. I would say that. I mean, the box office at the Shepherd's Bush Empire is open for about an hour a day, I believe. Oh, I mean, right. Yeah, I, I, no one would expect you. You could ring up, or you could do it on the. So computer. everything starts as a kind of online. Yeah. 
transaction. And isn't isn't part of the um, massive expansion of the kind of uh, inflation of the ticket price to do with the fact that if you're only allowed to have, say, four tickets and you only want two, the people are tempted to buy four because they can just sell off the other two. That is pretty much it. I mean, so this is the whole part of the issues of your... In your piece is that everybody's become the very thing that they so roundly despised and disparaged, which is the ticket town. The only difference is they're not standing outside a ticket going, who wants tickets in a hideous old uh, raincoat? You know, they're actually sitting at home in the comforts and security of their converted loft and uh, still trousering a large amount of cash. In order, I mean, am I right or not? Absolutely. I don't yeah, think that I'm is, is, wrong, That is I? exactly... Well, I, that is most of the problem, I think, from, from what I've gathered, yeah, yeah, that everyone is now a tout or... 50% of people, everyone is... Uh, but, but, I mean, I think that the roots of it started earlier. I mean, with the, uh, a lot of people, and I would agree, the ticket, when Ticketmaster came in and started putting charges on for things that you really cannot explain, the whole thing became more cynical and more... What you mean? So, so the public got more cynical. I think, think so. I think I, I think they did. And oh, also, really? Ian Flukes, who was the ticket agent yeah. for Wasted Talent, said something very interesting that the bands became more cynical about it. Even the bands like The Clash kind of put their hands up in the air and said, "What can we do?" You know, the, the old thing of looking after the kids, the kind of post-punk ideal that keeping keeping a price fair just for philosophical reasons. So God, the Clash particularly, because of you remember Clash on Broadway? They extended their run on yeah. Broadway for something like 21 nights in order to fulfil their obligation to the people who applied just, to play. But I mean, that's, that's, that's the story. That's, you know, I mean, we that. had Supergrass here last week, and I, we asked them about this, didn't we? You know, what did they think about it? And, I mean, they said, well, there's not really anything we can do. Uh, and, you know, Supergrass, the kind of group, who presumably what they can charge for a live show nowadays is way more than what they used to charge 10 years ago. It's huge. I mean, that's Uh, what they... In this feature, we've actually got some reproductions of uh, Morrissey playing the Brixton Academy in 1995. So it was a pretty big deal then, yeah? Uh, Big deal as a solo. £12.50. Well, these tickets actually came out of Andrew Harrison and my my attics, and there's one here for Amy Winehouse, which is one of mine. The concert actually was cancelled, but it was £17.50. This is last year. And she was quite a big deal, actually. It was last year at Shepherd's Bush Empire, 9th of March 2007, £17.50. Whereas nowadays, what's, what's the average price for a gig? Is there such a thing as an average price? It's more than that, it's isn't 40? it? 45, well, 50, it, isn't it? 50, if you want to go there, how is with Odin and Neil Young? It's £100 for two tickets, but barest minimum. Barest minimum, isn't it? And you probably have difficulty getting them. Yeah. But it is quite reasonable, because do you remember Neil Young did that show at the Hammersmith Odeon, I don't know, maybe less than 10 years ago? I, well, I went to that. Did you go to that? And that well, the you tickets, got rid of the back wall and everything. Yeah, did you t- get I didn't go. Oh, no, it was amazing show. For, anyway, for the reason on. that I thought the tickets were too expensive. Oh, really? We see, I didn't Because pay. it was 100 quid, I think, on the net. I didn't. I went to that show. I think, and we had a bit of a lively debate about it on the, on this very podcast. I think because right, he didn't well, allow you to drink. No, it's different. That's different. Oh, different show. Greendale. Sorry, that's, Greendale. That's, all right. That's, that's in Detroit. But can I throw in two more things? Right. One is I think there's another economy going on here, and I'll give you an example. My friend Tom rang me the other day, desperate state, and said, "Is there any way you can get me two tickets to see Radiohead in Victoria Park?" Whatever it is. I said, "Tom, I can't get tickets for myself to go and see Radiohead. What was going on?" Transpires, of course, that he has promised his 16-year-old daughter on her birthday. Mm-hmm. A Radiohead ticket because eBay now makes it makes it impossible in everyone's mind to think that whatever they want to go and see, yeah, yeah. they can go and see because the ticket the market is there. But what they can't calculate is just how much these tickets are costing. Yeah. So he's ah, oh, don't worry, sweetheart. I'll tell you what, a cheeky little Radiohead ticket coming up. 
and one for your friend, has a look on eBay. Oh, good God. You see, <laughs> you see the, this is the thing that's happened. The, the digital father has, yeah, bec- the has become the modern hunter-gatherer. Yes. He has re- recovered. <laughs> now, he used to go out from the cave in a basket and come back with a dead yeah. animal yes, right. and be applauded by his wife and his children. That hasn't occurred for years. Yeah. But since the internet and broadband, that's what dad does. Yeah. You know? Can you get me so-and-so on Amazon? Can you book the holiday? Can you get the flight ticket? Is, am I right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Am I right? Yeah, and is right. it regarded as one of father's jobs? Oh, it sort absolutely. of is. And also yeah. most fathers, being the people they are, think, I can do that. I can do that. Stand back. Yeah. You know, I'll get you tickets for High School Musical yeah. or uh, you be on sale or whatever. And then, find, then presumably you have to pay through that bloody nose. Can I just mention one of my all-time favourite New Yorker cartoons? Caveman sitting in a cave. And he's written with, 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 with chalk on the wall. It just says, Monday, hunt. Tuesday, gather. Wednesday, hunt. Jamil Dari, what he's got to do with No, but the other point I was going to make was that... Uh, Oh, I completely forgot what it was now. I had another brilliant point. What was it? Um, I don't know. No, I don't I mean, know. We were talking about Radiohead <laughs> and the difficulty get, of getting tickets. But anyway. Oh, no, I'll tell you what it was. No, there's another issue. There's a moral issue here, which is that in the world of artists, right? <laughs> music, music business, moral issue. Moral no, issue. No, 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 no. In the world of artists, well, uh, you know, <laughs> Peter Blake paints a, paints a painting, right? Are you just and trying to pop in front of the microphone? Oh, well, Peter Blake, 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 Peter Two, two. And if you buy it, I don't try and say Peter Blake without a, that, but put the, put the baffle back in front. Does that make any difference here? Um, and if you buy it off him for five pounds in, you know, 1974 or whatever, well, he's not particularly well known, right? And you sell it for half a million pounds tomorrow, he's getting none of that. Yeah. Now, artists, rock musicians, I start to complain about the fact that they put their tickets on sale. Oh. Led Zeppelin, you know, somebody's paid £1,500 to go and see them. Not one red cent of that goes back to Led Zeppelin or their charity. You know, it goes to Johnny eBay, yeah, pirate, yeah, yeah. who's uh, made the money. So where do we stand on that? Massive issue. Well, it's, a, it's a, each to his own now. I mean, I, the question is whether, ultimately, in all of these things, I think it seems to me that it's either you follow the free market... Or you don't. And if you don't, then you, you know. I mean, I would rather the money goes to the artist or even to the promoter who's done it than, than someone reselling a ticket, like a hedge fund manager or whatever. Yeah. But that's my standpoint. But, there, but you see, the way, the way artists are looking at, the, at, at this at the moment, and I know I read of a case of this from Bruce Springsteen two years ago when he toured in the States. They took a block of seats at a gig in Philadelphia, I think, and they said, okay, the face value of the tickets for these 100 people is $30,000, let's say. And then they went and interviewed all those people and said, how much did you pay for your tickets? And they worked out it was $300,000, is what they paid. Well, the face value was only 30000 If you're John Landau, Bruce Springsteen's manager, you think, I'd like that 300000 please. So what happens then is Bruce Springsteen goes on tour and says, $200 a ticket. Well, yeah, they can't you know do I mean? it because it's bad. It's bad. It's very bad for bad them, for the but fans. it's what the market will effectively pay. Yeah. Now, one person who can comment on this is if this morning I, I went uh, into the West End uh, and I went to see Sam Cohen from uh, Seatwave.com, who are uh, a website that deals in secondary ticketing. Uh, and I asked him how they'd arrived in this business at this particular time. Well, traditionally, ticketing is a business where an event organizer hires a ticket agent to sell their tickets, and they get sold to consumers. And then consumers uh, 
many cases, those tickets are sold months and months before an event takes place. And so consumers don't really understand their demand at the time tickets go on sale in many cases, or their plans change along the way. And historically, they've had no opportunity to sell those tickets if they can't use them, or if they miss out on the on sale to buy later. The only opportunity has been to go out onto the street to tap, really, which is not a very good consumer experience. So if you look at this all the way through, consumers are forced to either buy early or go into a really bad consumer experience if they don't buy early, when we don't really understand our demand early on. Six months from now, will they have a hot single? Will I have other plans? Am I going out of town? I don't know. So the, the idea behind SeatWave is really looking at this dynamic that exists in the market and figuring out a way to bring the discipline of, for example, a stock trading platform to event ticketing and to say, look, you can, you can buy in the on sale if you want to, you can wait till later if you want to, because if you buy in the on sale and you can't use your tickets, you can sell them on, you'll get made whole, or you can wait and buy later. And if you do, we're going to do two things for you. Number one, we're going to provide the highest level of consumer protection, which doesn't exist otherwise in the market. And number two, we're going to have a competitive marketplace for every performance, so we're going to drive price down as much as possible. So classically, I've got more tickets than I want, and I decide to sell them on your site, and somebody comes to your site who wants to buy those tickets. How do you make money? Right. We make money by, number one, acting as the intermediary between the buyer and seller. One of the unique advantages of what we do is that because we, we, act, we play this escrow agent role, we can guarantee the transaction on either side. So it's a guarantee to the buyer, it's a guarantee to the seller, and what we do is we charge a commission on every sale, and we split that commission between the buyer and the seller. We charge a 15% booking fee to the buyer, and then when we pay the seller out, we take a 10% success fee. Now, as a seller, it's free to list tickets with SeatWave. You only pay us if your tickets sell. So our business model is based on the fact that we need to sell tickets in order to get paid. How do you respond to that allegation that you're just encouraging everybody to be a tout? Um, well, I don't really respond to it at all. You know, touting has been going on for a long time before we started, and the reality is what we're trying to do is to take a business that has been dominated by a cartel of event organizers, ticket agents, and touts historically who have restricted supply to consumers, who have kept prices high, and we're trying to move it to a peer-to-peer -peer business where we actually raise consumer protection and lower prices. So people sling all kinds of accusations all over the place, but the facts, and we have facts to back this up, is that there are more satisfied customers on SeatWave than there have ever been before in the secondary market, and there are lower prices on SeatWave than you'll find elsewhere in the secondary market. How do prices go down if more and more people are competing for less and less tickets? Uh, well, it's now there are more and more tickets, actually. So the, the more people who are listing their tickets on SeatWave for every event, the more price competition we create for every performance, the more competition, the more supply that exists, lower prices go. There's a lot of talk about potential government or European legislation around this kind of thing, a lot of people feeling rather indignant and injured. Do you think that'll ever happen? Personally, I think it's highly unlikely for the, for the simple fact that what we do is good for consumers. And ultimately, I would hope, and I, I think everyone who's listening to this would hope, that government should act in the interests of consumers, not in the interests of concert promoters, not in the interests of, of musicians, not in the interests of ticket agents, but in the interests of consumers. What's the thing that you think would most surprise people about the ticketing business? What's the greatest misconception people have about it? 
the greatest misconception is that most sellouts are not sold out, that there are always tickets somewhere, and in most cases, you have event organizers and managers and venue operators and ticket agents who are holding back significant blocks of tickets, and they say it's sold out, and they release them later. So most people say, well, it's sold out. I can't get tickets. It's sold out. But that's usually not the case, right? Usually tickets get hauled back, and they get released in dribs and drabs. Why do promoters right? do that? Well, I think in many cases, they want, they want to see what the market looks like um, early on, and so they restrict supply to create more of a frenzy around that atmosphere and then release it later. And you know, just that activity alone artificially inflates prices on the secondary market. So in many cases, people point to us as the people who are, who are making this terrible for everyone, but it's actually the behavior of the primary market more than anyone else that artificially inflates prices in the secondary market. So that's, that's um, Sam Cohen of, of SeatWave explaining about how they go about things. Now, he can't see any, uh, any uh, prospect of government legislation coming into this. Do we think that that's likely to happen? Well, I, I would have thought the government would be interested if they could make some money out of it. And how would they do that? I don't know. I mean, they make money out of a variety of other things, and they're very keen to make money. And if they, <laughs> if they were in some way involved, they could put some levy on it, whereby in exchange for controlling ticket prices, you got, they've got a percent back or whatever. I yeah, I can't see. But how you can, can control cr ticket prices by law? You can't control magazine prices or the price of apples or, or anything in the, in the market by law, can you? can't be done. Well, you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot of members of parliament standing up making pompous noises about it. It's a disgraceful. Yes, well, I'm they, did, they had a um, select, select committee, committee. Yeah. which I, I think is, I'm, I'm no politician, but I suspect that that's a bit of a... I think it's kicked into the long grass, yeah. as the, uh, <laughs> as the, right. the white old And then they kicked it even further by saying that there was not much, that because, there was nothing that could be done. Yeah. Because this, I mean, you know, I think the music uh, community has been quite naive about this recently, coming along going, this is dis a disgrace. It's been going on in football and boxing and whatever they since have, God was a boy, actually, isn't it? But they have made it, sorry. Yeah, I mean, since, uh, was it the Taylor Report, since the Safe Standing, they've actually made it, it is actually illegal to buy and sell uh, football tickets. Yeah. You have to you have to buy them from the club and you're not supposed to. No, but if I want to go and buy a cup final ticket off a town, I can do that? You can, but you're not, or, but it is illegal. It's, it's only, no, but only, well, all right, it's illegal, but completely unenforceable, yeah. isn't it? You know, although, they're not stopping everybody going into Wembley and saying, show me your passport, and, you know. No, although, although grounds like, I know that um, the Eastland Stadium in Manchester, they're aiming to do um, completely kind of paper-free, and it's going to be, I don't know, by, by your iris or something. But, but how do you, but, how do you but, differentiate between somebody who normally used to see Manchester United at Old Trafford, and they can't go this Saturday, so they decide to sell their ticket in the pub? Yeah, but the, the overwhelming majority of people who go to Man United, and this is, you know, potentially a big lesson for music, are season tickets. Yeah. They go to every gig, Sh match, show, whatever. <laughs> you know, so the casual buyer has been, they're brought in legislation, okay. The casual, turn, the person who just feels like turning up to watch Sheffield United can't do it anymore. Yeah. It's but next to impossible. If you were Bruce Princey and you said, I'm going to start a season ticket holders uh, system, whereby if you believe in me enough and I shall be back every two years... You'll be guaranteed a seat, but you've got to pay up ahead in advance for this amount of money. I would have thought quite a lot of people would go for it. And you see, and if they, guaranteed a ticket, you're a and, season. And, and if they marry that to the idea of the deeper squad system, 
you'll get an opportunity after a while to go on stage and play the tambourine. But I was just thinking, what's the one thing that you never, ever, ever see on gig posters or ads for live music anymore? What, uh, tickets three, on the night? Three pints of lager? With every you ticket. never see the price. They never have That's true, You're not even in adverts, no, do you? Yeah, in, in, I was in looking at the back yeah. of, um, I think it was the uh, Observer Music Monthly, and they had an ad for Iron Maiden at Twickenham Stadium. This didn't year. say how much. I was thinking, I wonder how much they charge for that. And I <laughs> looked everywhere on that ad, and you cannot see it anywhere. Because if you saw it, you might think twice. If you saw it, you would not <laughs> go to the website. Having <laughs> well, gone yeah. to the website and got your yeah, credit card, you're halfway there, yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where it's going to end. Does anybody know where it's going to end? No, I mean that. So you were talking, weren't you, Matt, last week about Public Enemy, yeah, and yeah, you've yeah. got a barcode, yeah. which is what they did for Led Zeppelin. I mean, I think they're going to try these things. So presumably, if they wanted to, they could go. There's the barcode. Where's the credit card that matches up with that? Yeah, barcode? and that if wouldn't you don't be have both of those things. You're not coming in. Perfectly possible. That is perfectly possible. But it means that you can't even give your ticket. No, you can. You can give your ticket to a friend, but you give them your credit card. Do you have any friends? <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good friend. Whoa. I wouldn't oh. trust many of my friends. There's not much in it. What a well, what a what a what a delightful you know prospect all this is. Anyway, so that's. Um, that's James's piece about, about ticketing and secondary ticketing and so forth uh, in the current issue of Word. And we'll actually put that on the website, uh, wordmagazine.co.uk. And if you want to sort of feedback about what your particular experiences have been, I know there's some bitter tears have been spilt over uh, computer keyboards, people talking about their agonising experiences of attempting to get tickets for, well, not just Neil Young, but also, you know, I think as, as it says in, somewhere in this piece, you know, the... They, for, for some group next door, you know, you, you've pretty much got to, yeah. you know, give them your blood group before you can go and yeah. see them. The only piece of advice I've got, and it's no use to anybody, I know, is stop. If everybody in the world wants to go and see the big groups, Absolutely. it's impossible. It's like football. If you, I can't get in, you know, to Spurs or, you know, Old Trafford. Well, if I want to go and see a football match, but then again, there's Barnett probably rattling around, yeah. you know, going out yeah. of business. Yeah. Yeah. That's cruel. That's a lot of it is also, one thing just worth, worth mentioning is the inevitable kind of economic working out of the fact that bands are making far less out of recorded music. Absolutely. You know, you used to pay £14 for a CD, or you know, and go and get one for six quid. Well, where are they making it from instead? Well, that's They're the making it from live shift. music. Because I think people genuinely do make, if it isn't a conscious, it's certainly a subconscious uh, uh, equation works out in their head that I have spent nothing on this group. So I'm not going to think a great deal of spending £40 to go and see them. Because normally I would have spent £40 just in buying their records to acclimatise myself sufficiently with their music to want to go and see them in the first place. I, I think that's amazing. See, that's the next thing. And we thing. talked about this the before. Well, my kids are in the, both in their early 20s. You know, they, they, they very rarely, should be saying this, they very rarely part with uh, hard-earned cash for records. Absolutely. But they spend enormous amounts, travelling enormous distances to go and see. Your money. Of my next day. I'm glad to say they're both earning. Just. But they also... <laughs> Talk, I mean, and this goes against your band as a squad thing. They're, they're going for the unique experience. Yes. Um, which is, everyone seems to think is... But I still think... The digital I, age. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I still think the, band, the squad system's got certain things to oh, recommend. Right. I think it would be very exciting. I wonder who'll be playing bass tonight. I think, you know, no one ever wants that. It's a great system. I think it's... I'm going to write about that, actually. It's my, it's it's my, a great my prescription. 
But for the for the music business, but also there is that element, in, in, particularly in America, that this is your last chance to see this group. I was looking through one of the, I think it was Time Out this week in London, and it was an advert for the for the police are playing a concert in Hyde Park. Oh, yeah, it does say that. It's last ever UK tour, which is terrific news, obviously, for <laughs> <laughs> music lovers the world over. You didn't meet Andy Summers. Thank the Lord. But anyway, hurry, hurry, well, stop so, linger. We've been going on for rather a long time, haven't we? <laughs> We've, we've been going on for a long time, and the reason we've gone on for a long time this week, more than any other week, is that somebody from the BBC went on their Facebook group. And if you want to join the Word uh, Podcast Facebook group, just go Facebook, you know, and sign up, Word Magazine Podcast. Uh, join in the fun, you know, you, you post your comments. This, if you've made it this far, Chris, hi. So, <laughs> so what's the name of this bloke from the BBC? Chris Kimber. Chris Kimber. Chris Kimber from the BBC. Well, it's on digital side of things at the BBC, is that right? Yeah. And he says the Word Podcast is very good, but isn't it rather too long? Yeah. And we had to point out to him that unlike the BBC podcast, which, which I'll pay for by, I think, £135.50, that we all pay. Has everybody around these microphones paid their BBC license fee? Oh, yes? Yeah. Yes, yes Jay, I have, yes. Yeah. So top that up, okay? That's quite a few... So Chris can go quacking on. <laughs> yeah. His heart's content. So, <laughs> so, you know, we'll, you know, as long as this thing's free, we'll do it our way, okay? We'll brook That's no advice from Put nobody. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, so-called Chris. <laughs> This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.